Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast, where the podcast getting you over the game line on everything uh, Australian rugby. We've got a great show with you tonight. Um, I'm Matt Rowley, uh, your host in the chair. I've got uh, Hugh Cavill with me. G'day, mate. G'day, Matt. How's things? Been a while? It has been a little while, actually. Oh, actually, is it? Is it? What did we, did we do one like a couple of weeks ago? That's, <laughs> yes. That's quite recent for us. Ah, yes, but we've had a Wallaby squad, we've had the Super Rugby Finals, we've had a lot, lot go on in, in, in that time, so plenty plenty to discuss. Awesome. And look, in, in the booth uh, joining us and keeping everything on track is uh, Nick, um, but also we've got a special guest tonight. Now, everyone knows uh, Ben Darwin's a great friend of the pod, um, and uh, we've had him on a, a few times, uh, but Ben's sort of co-founder and uh, business partner um, in Gameline is, uh, is, I think it's Gameline Analytics, is uh, Simon Strachan, and he's joining us tonight. G'day, mate. Uh, uh, hello, and um, thank you for having me. Yeah, so, mate, look, I thought it's probably worth just give it, you giving a little bit of background. I mean, you've got quite an illustrious career there uh, in, in rugby, especially around the um, sort of analysis side of things. You maybe just give us a bit of a rundown on what you've done so far and how that led into Gameline? Uh, yes, I can. So, um, my well, to be honest, my career actually started outside of rugby. I, I actually started as a car designer, of all things, but I, I've always had a background in rugby through playing and coaching. Um, but but I always was just like a typical um, diehard rugby person. Um, I always um, was fascinated by the sport, and any opportunity I got through playing or coaching, I always put my hand up to, to do something else. And I had an opportunity... Um, a while ago through my involvement through some elite pathways um, coaching here in Victoria to one day um, help out the Wallabies when they were here in Melbourne just to basically hold a video camera. Um, And that for me actually turned into a 10-year association with the Wallabies where I ended up holding a video camera to basically becoming a uh, essentially a a, a video analyst, a, a performance analyst with them being able to uh, code training, code games, and work with their uh, analysts through uh, a whole long period of time, which actually led, then led me to uh, be introduced to um, Ben through uh, his time. Just when he was coming on board at the Rebels, um, I was with um, doing some time there with the Wallabies, and he uh, met me and said, well, if you can do this with the Wallabies, you can come and help me with the Rebels. So. When the Rebels first started, there were literally four people in an office and and um, I would come in and help Ben. We would be coding uh, ITM games. We'd be coding English Premiership games, doing some of the original recruiting uh, for the Rebels back in the day, back in 2010. Um, and then um, just going through that, and I was with the Rebels for about five years. So that was you know very much a, a part-time um, thing for me because I, was, um, yeah. I actually changed career. I became a school teacher, but I did that to allow me to uh, enhance my rugby. I was a director of rugby at a school or a teacher in charge of rugby at a school here in Melbourne. Um, and I did some uh, coaching uh, big, big school boys at the Australian School Championships and, and did some uh, of the early junior gold um, um, pathway stuff and did some high performance uh, work, some scouting work with the ARU as well. So that really allowed me to, to, to spend a lot of time at the pointy end of of rugby in Australia, so with the Wallabies, with the Rebels, with the Junior Pathways, and it gave me a really good understanding about what the important things were and 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 what the important things weren't. And that and that, I always had a sort of a sense about how the game was played. And when Ben sort of started explaining his ideas around his experiences of playing with the Brumbies and the Wallabies and his ideas around cohesion, that really gelled with the way I coached. Um, the game and that's when we sort of that that synergy between us said hey wait a minute I think we've got something here and that's when I basically said let's let's do something let's you know I'm I'm all in with you to try and create this and and get this going as a as a full concept oh fantastic I mean, so over that time so if you're in what well, and analytics with rugby 
you know, uh, and on and off with both the Wallabies and, and the Rebels was that, that was over what like like an eight year period or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, so I I first um, started being involved in the in the sort of Wallabies in the late two thousands, um, and then the Rebels started up in um, really two thousand and ten, and then and then I had the opportunity whenever the Reb, uh, Wallabies were in Melbourne, and then I went on a um, um, the Lions tour. When they're here in 2013, and, and some some um, Tri Nations as well in Brisbane and Sydney, around. So, um, spent a reasonable amount of time within that environment, um, and then Rebels are um, mostly in Melbourne, but uh, a few away games as well, um, experiencing many different varied coaches boxes, as most analysts do. You know, they they basically experience a coaches box and deep in the bowels of a stadium somewhere, trying to um, copy files. <laughs> and so, mate, I mean, over that time, how did analysis and use of you know data and coding and vision change? I mean, was it was it dramatic? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the biggest thing, or the two biggest factors that I found was the the use of the analysis for a start, mm-hmm. um, from sort of more of an intuitive. You know, let's have a bit of a look at this to see what we see. To, to using the analysis to actually get a much more granular level or understanding of the game. So the amount uh, of of actual data that can be actually pulled from a game of rugby is really quite amazing. So I don't know if people people sort of don't necessarily have a really a, a true understanding because you can get your you pull up your stats from say Fox Sports or or anything like that. You see tackles and rucks and mauls and phase play, but there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lines of data that are actually pulled out from a game of rugby union. And what happens in back in the day when we first started the Rebels, we, we had a provider that would that would actually sit, there would be a, there's a, there's a shed in New Zealand of sweaty um, New Zealand university students that would code the game and they would only be able to do it in 15 minute stints because it's so intensive. And they would do, basically have thousands of thousands of lines of actually different different activities and they would be doing that all night, so for one particular game. And so four o'clock in the morning, you'd be emailed a particular file with all the code, and then then you could actually review the game. And that would be, you know, tackle left shoulder, tackle right shoulder, miss tackle, pass left, pass right, um, um, arrival at ruck, first, second, third, and down to the sort of the, the minutest detail. But in saying that, it's still ultimately. Um, through our lens, that you know, the way we look at the game now, and through our lens of cohesion analytics, it's still just another version of the score. It's still, it's still sort of event data. So, you know, yeah. it's still useful, but it, it, in some cases, you're still sort of looking for that the nugget uh, yeah. in, in all the data. So, you know, what is the what is the tiny little nugget we can find to give us an advantage in yeah. the end? And, and um, over the different, I guess, because if you started the late sort of noughties, I, you know, there's, there's quite a few coaches you would have been involved with there. Um, like, are you able to give us a bit of an insight in the different styles of how those people would use it? Like, is there anybody yeah. who stick, sticks out to you that, as far as who was an absolute data freak versus those who are maybe a bit more intuitive? Um, in a way, without without necessarily naming names, um, there are different coaches viewed sort of the performance or data analyst in different ways. Some coaches would say, go away and find me something. Find me something there. Find me something different that I could use. Other coaches would say, this is the way I want to play. I want you now to actually assist me in developing my game and assist me with the analysis to actually then communicate that to my players. This is the one way I want to play it. Now I want you to go and look at the opposition and you get me as much on the opposition. So there were some coaches that were very confident in the way that they coached and they wanted the analysis to basically then um, help them with their coaching from that respect. And other coaches that said, I want you to go and find something for me. Find find that little hidden gem that I could potentially use in there. Okay. So, yeah, so different coaches had different styles uh, in and that respect. They- and would they look at oppositions equally? Um, so by that I mean whether it's the coach um, or whether it's the different opposition, like in terms of their, um, 
what's the word, uh, you know, uh, perceived sort of um, threat or, or strength? Like, you know, did, did it matter who you were up against? Would would that opposition get just as much kind of drilling into them or, you know, how, how might that work differently when it comes to looking at competitors? Yeah, it really depended on, it really depended on, and this is again coming through um, spending time with different coaches because when you had a different head coach, you often had different, um, coaches underneath uh, that particular coach. It really came down to um, if a particular coach, their job was to do the the opposition analysis, what they wanted to, to look at. So it was sometimes horses for courses about how they wanted to look at and what they wanted to look at. So some, yeah. some, some coaches, when they did opposition analysis, they had a really good idea about what they wanted to do in, a, in, a, in their way. And they just said, I want you to look at X, Y, Z, where yeah. other uh, other experiences I've seen is that I want you to go away and actually look at it that way. So, um, w- what I found is um, um, the, uh, the the current um, Melbourne Rebels coach Owen Toolan, who's got he's he's um, had a lot of experience through Ireland and he's spent obviously he's spent a lot of time at the Rebels because um, he actually took a lot of he when when I was there when I was there just at the end of my sort of tenure there and when he was starting. He took a lot of that responsibility on, and he's like he's a very good operator um, in that respect. So he, he knows a lot about the game, and he knows a lot about rugby, and he knows how to apply that from an analytical standpoint. And he had a really good relationship with the coaches, and 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 the coaches had confidence in him in that way. And so it comes, and that's part of that relationship as well. Whether the analyst is looked at looked in it has a has that confidence from the coaches whether, whether the coach can just say go do this and they've got confidence in them or they have to sort of spell it out so and right. and that's you know and that's part of that's cohesion part of that's you know developing that understanding and that relationship it's a bit like um uh so when i started with the with the wallabies it was robbie deans was the coach and their analyst was a guy named andrew sullivan andrew sullivan was with robbie at the crusaders and then with the all blacks and then um back with the Crusaders and then with the Wallabies because, you know, they had a way of working with each other. Right. Um, and, and, and actually you just, you were just touching there on, um, uh, on Robbie Deans and look, you know, tell me if you prefer not to go into it, but obviously you were there through that time. I don't know why I felt this or I, or I thought that, but it, it seemed to me, I wasn't, I was never quite sure with Robbie Deans how much, analysis had got into the opposition um, or whether it was, cause you know, the, there was always that mantra of sort of plays, play what's in front of you. So, say say versus a Ewan McKenzie, you know, where um, it seemed to me that Ewan McKenzie was always much, a, very much a, a plotter, um, depending on the team he was up against, especially when he was, you know, coaching the Tars, I think, and also the Reds, you know, you'd see a very, you know, you could see a completely different game plan. And he'd quite often talk about that. Like, for example, how the how they look to continually frustrate the Chiefs um, by just basically not letting them play their game. And I always assumed there was a lot of analysis that went into that. With Robbie as a coach, my sense, and I, like, like, and you you might be about to tell me I was completely off beam in this, that whole play what's in front of you, we've got our game plan, we play like that. Or, or, or did he put the, as much in, um, competitive uh, and, and um, competitive strategies in as anyone else? Um, I think there's there's two things going on there, and and I think and and this is unfortunate, and this is where I'm going to put my cohesion hat on as a, yeah. as a is that um, one of the I think one of the issues that Robbie had as a coach, he came from an environment where especially out of the Crusaders, as we you know, as we've seen for the last three seasons, they've got this wonderful system that breeds um, breeds breeds players with an immense amount of understanding just because of the nature of the way they come through their system and through Tasman, through Canterbury, into the Crusaders. That way that they have this level of understanding and so it, they didn't necessarily need a tremendous amount of extra work to go into them from all levels of rugby. Mm-hmm. where that's a completely different, not a completely different environment, a different environment uh, to Australia where it's not necessarily as a complete system in that way. So, um, and so potentially that may, look, potentially that may have been um, lacking, but but from my particular role, I didn't necessarily see as much of those inner workings 
uh, in that environment um, uh, uh, to actually understand how much of that that, that nitty gritty granular level that that, that Robbie and and his assistants put into it. Simon, Hugh here, just quick question from me. Um, you said a lot's changed in in the last 10, 10 years, and obviously yep. in the time that you've been been in. What's what's a statistic that you think is is um, collected that might be a public one of the, one of the broader ones that that is either overlooked or or underrated for the for the regular punter? You know, I think blokes blokes like us we tend to look at missed tackles. Um, we tend to look at you know maybe run meters, which is you know got plenty of issues with that stat. Is there a stat that you think is is not is not looked at enough as a sort of an armchair analysis kind of stat for for people to sound sound knowledgeable in the pub or uh, or, or is there one you think's over overworked? Uh, I think um, you know it's funny you mentioned missed tackles. Like missed tackles is often a red herring. I remember there was a time at the Rebels where. Um, um, uh, Fanger had um, Nick Phipps had some of the worst missed tackle stats in the team, but the only reason he had the worst missed tackle stats because he was a sweeper in defence, because the line was being broken so many times and he was struggling. He was trying to fill the gaps and actually make the the the, the last line of defence tackle. That he, his stat was actually saying that he was missing all the tackles. Where in actual fact. Um, he was actually scrambling to try and make that last line of defence because the defensive line was so weak. So it actually made him look like a poor tackler. But in actual fact, it was a function of the whole team. And and sort of Ben tells the same story. He said if he, if he came away from a Wallabies test and had zero tackles against his name, for him, he said that was good because people chose not to not to attack down his channel. Because basically, you know, people said, I'm not going to go down his channel because I'm not going to get anywhere. So for him, that was a plus in that way. So often that's why that, you know, those simple ones like missed tackles are often not necessarily looked at in the right, you know, the right way in the right context. It's like, yeah, sorry, it's like, it's like run meters for a fullback. Like you can, yeah. you can kick, kick back to the fullback. Yes, of course, you've got 50 meters to run before you actually run into anybody. Well, not 50 meters, but... You know, so there's always going to be an exaggeration for run meters because of just the nature of your position or the nature of the context of what you're doing with it. Yeah, well, so I suppose what what we were we were speaking about off air as well to bring it into a more you know 2019 context. I know there's been a lot of chat about the form of the Brumbies um, this year and and how that should translate into into the Wallaby squad. Now, I know, you know, you um, can't probably go into too much detail here, but, you know, speaking generally, you know, cohesion, we would have thought as, as armchair, um, armchair sort of cohesion analytics fans on this podcast that, that the, importing the Brumbies forward pack or certainly elements of it would be a, a net positive for the, for the Wallabies. I mean, even in a theoretical sense, um, would you agree with that? Uh, yes and no. The, the reason why I say that is that um, w- when we talk about cohesion, in its simplest broken-down form, it's when people play together, they have a level of understanding, and and you know that's the way people look at it. But really, cohesion is actually broken up into three different things. We call it the three Ps, people, position, and program. So if you've got an understanding between the people around you, if you've got an understanding in your position or your role, but also if you've got an understanding in the program, which is a function of the game plan. So so by saying that, oh, yeah, you know, the Brumbies forward pack, they've done a great job, let's just choose them for the Brumbies. If in the Wallabies they are playing a different way, it doesn't necessarily mean that that will translate into the Wallabies. So when the successful 2014 Waratahs translated into the successful, you know, World Cup final um, wallabies, the, the 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 linking factor there was they actually had the same coach, and so there was a an association with the program, so to speak. But that's not necessarily the case there. And I, and I'm not and I don't know how necessarily how they're going to play, um, how the wallabies are going to play, whether it's going to be different or whether it's going to be the same. But that has to be taken into account because if the wallabies are actually going to play in a different way to what the brumbies have played then those that understanding between the Brumbies players may not actually be applicable and so it might actually be 
um, uh, you know, they may not necessarily be as effective because they'll be learning a new way of playing together. I mean, and and that's the thing. I mean, I guess that's where Hugh was going with it. Is that if you look at, I mean, because the Brumbies, you know, um, did so much better. I mean, as an overall team than um, most of the other Australian teams. Um, I think there's been a lot of you know armchair selection going on, which would say it's not just the forward pack. Um, you know, you should be looking at Christian Lafano and a number of the other backs, um, and, and, and the, who are in some quite you know, instrumental positions um, in the team. But I, I guess all of us kind of have a pretty strong gut feel that that's probably not the direction Michael Checker is going to be coming from if his last, whatever it is, four years of coaching the Wallabies or anything to go by. Um, we're probably going to see a, a good run of the usual faces, which will make everybody outside of New South Wales groan. Um, is 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 this then the way that you're talking about that? Is this sort of saying, well, look, actually, there's a fair bit of method in that. There's a fair bit of method in what other people might see as madness in terms of not changing it. Because, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, whatever it is, you know, in, into your kind of whatever it is, fourth or fifth years of the Checker reign, suddenly kind of, you know, shaking this up and going with a whole new 10 and, and a whole bunch of other positions, that's really going to be working against the cohesion. Yeah, well, yeah, it will. So it will. So if you if you do change it round, then it will. There will be a period of adaption, uh, and you do need that time for people to actually start really get that level of understanding that you need at Test football, and mm. and, and ultimately, um, the fact that there's only a handful of games before the World Cup is there enough time with it. So, mm. so um, I mean, if you look at the the Waratahs, you can argue that the Waratahs underperformed in. Um, the Super Rugby season, so and it's the same. It's the same argument with the Brumbies. If if those guys play exactly the same way as the, at the Waratahs that they did for the Wallabies, will the result be the same? Not sure. If 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 they're going to play differently at the Waratahs, at uh, the Wallabies, sorry, then then there's a potential that the actual output's going to be different. So so when say if a majority, and hypothetically, I don't know, if a majority of Waratahs are selected for the Wallabies. It doesn't necessarily mean that the result of the Wallabies will match what the Waratahs are, because there's a different way of playing in that way. And and um, and so it comes, yeah, it comes back down to um, what we call again those three Ps. So when people are playing, and the understanding between the people, but also the way they are playing together. And also in 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 speaking about that is actually understanding to make sure um, about when people are selected in their specific role. And uh, look and. Uh, You've seen over the years when, say, an All Black, when uh, the All Black have an injured fullback, they select another fullback to play in that position. Where, you know, traditionally over the years for um, the Wallabies, if if the if the Wallabies have an injured fullback, that they select the next best player um, for that position. So, um, Reese Hodgson. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's right, and you and you feel sorry for someone like. Um, um, Hodgie, that that basically he's sort of he, he he's sort of jack of all trades and moves around. It's a bit like the modern day Julian Huxley in a way that you yeah. you end up playing in all those different positions. You sort of become, you know, apprentice at many and master at none, um, so to speak. So 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 yeah. So understanding that that you need to have those strong relationships between the people. You need to make sure that the, there's an understanding in the way they're going to play, and there's also there's that consistency in role. Consistency in position, so people aren't necessarily coming in to it like you've got a fullback who's playing inside centre or or outside centre or an outside centre who's playing inside centre, that 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 they have to adjust to that particular role um, in that way. So so all those factors have to basically be sort of taken into account when you're going through that selection process. And and so I, mean, I understand. So Gameline has been involved with uh, the Super Rugby franchises. Um, the Australian Super Rugby franchises this year. Is that right? And, and what sort of input or role have you guys been playing with them? Yeah, so it's very much in the um, embryonic stage. So we really, it's a case of actually um, getting, just really testing the, um, getting a getting an understanding of, of how Super Rugby runs, getting understanding of uh, the influence of um, um, the Australian 
conf- uh, the, how the Australian teams work in the different conferences to actually say, well, how do we actually manipulate our uh, recruiting and selection process that that we that we can then be more competitive with the other um, conferences? Because Super Rugby is out of all the competitions that we've measured uh, around, you know, within Australia, whether it's the AFL, the NRL um, competitions in the football competitions in the UK or in the US, um, Super Rugby, I think, is the hardest competition from a home and away perspective. If you don't get a good draw, then basically you're pretty well um, wrecked for the season, regardless of how good you are. Mm-hmm. So um, so that that's sort of some of the work we've been trying to do is understand what are those influences and then ultimately what are the governance influences that we can look at to assist with recruiting and selection from a long-term perspective. So. So this isn't about, you know, what can we do tomorrow to make them successful? It's really about, you know, from a cohesion perspective, you know, what's the long-term picture? Oh, so, it's, so, so it's quite a long-term sort of, like you say, strategic approach. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, rather than a sort of within a season improving performance, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's much more of a, you know, asking that existential question, what is, you know, what does Super Rugby, you know, Australian Super Rugby look like? Um, you know, assuming the number of teams, but then, you know, how you feed that talent in and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, there are things we do game by game uh, mm-hmm. as well to assist uh, um, from a sort of a tactical um, strength weakness um, standpoint, uh, but really it stems back to from a governance perspective. So um, if you... if, if, if um, if people looked at our website, we've actually got a video. We've got a video of Scott Robinson actually explaining um, cohesion and TWI beautifully, uh, which is you know the fundamental driver of why the Crusaders is so successful. So we've, we're basically trying to um, take that and then say, how do we actually implement that in Australia? Because mm-hmm. the structure is different. Like New Zealand is New Zealand and everything is designed to point to the top. Where it's just it's different in Australia, and we can't we can't necessarily replicate what happens in New Zealand. So we've basically got to understand what is the mechanism that allows cohesion to happen. Um, how do we take that mechanism and adapt it to um, the Australian environment? And, and do you just want to, you mentioned TWI there? Do you just want to explain what that is? Yeah, so TWI is it's, it's short for Teamwork Index. So it's basically a, a measure of um, what we call um, or squad cohesion, which is really a measure of the overall governance philosophy of an organisation, and in the simplest simplest terms, are we a, a, a you know a, 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 is the organisation a build organisation or a buy organisation? So, um, to, to give it a really a sort of simple explanation, if you're a buy organisation, you're like a Manchester City. You've got deep pockets, and you can buy skill. You can just go out there and sort of buy all the talent you want. Or if you're a build organisation, which effectively what say the Canterbury Crusaders are, what Melbourne Storm is, what Leinster, what Saracens, Saracens to a lesser extent because the English premierships are sort of different kettle of fish, so to speak. Um, so and so it's really about understanding what, what the governance principles are and it's a really good measure of sort of long-term performance um, okay. and it's a, it's a dictator of, of, of how you can, how, how much in-season cohesion you can cre- create um, um, from a game-by-game level. Okay. And so, and at this point, you guys are not directly working with the Wallabies, is that right? Or is it kind of, it's a bit, it, or you, you're starting to do that through your work with the Super Rugby franchises? Yeah, so we've got, a, I mean, we've got a relationship with, with Rugby Australia. So we, you know, we want to obviously enhance that. We're working with the Super Rugby provinces and we'll see how we go from that. Okay, cool. And so that would mean, I mean, ideally for you guys then, in the future when these sort of wallaby squads would be putting together, you know, uh, cohesion would be a, a, more of a part of that? Uh, potentially. I mean, we hope so. Ultimately, we hope so. But, look, in saying that, look, we know, you know, you know, we think cohesion is an important part of team performance. But, but in saying that, it is just one of the aspects of team performance and it is just one of the layers that help in the decision-making process. Um, that that goes into ultimately the you know how you put a squad together, how you select from a game by game level, and, and how to look at outcomes. So it's one of the many many parts of the process that allow people to 
to select, to um, um, assess, um, and 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 look at how a team's put together. So, looking ahead then to this sort of shortened rugby championship, and, and then into the World Cup, are there any? And you know, now that we have an idea at least what what our squad looks like, and I guess also, I mean, I was I was um, reading about you know talking about the draw for the rugby championship, for example, we've got. Um, you know, two go two games at home. Um, are there any are there any nuggets that kind of jump out to you that indicate one way or the other? So, in terms of players who are available, or you know, um, you know, and, and or have been selected, or or are there any other factors that you're looking at, whether either within if it's within our squad or others, that that you think are interesting going in there, especially from a from your perspective, from a cohesion analysis perspective. Well, well, uh, only that um, the obvious the the rise of the from a from the rugby championship perspective, the rise of the the Haguaras is an obvious one. That was it was always the plan, um, having having effectively a Super Rugby team that has predominantly all internationals. Like it's mm. you, you didn't have to be Einstein to work out that that this was a um, um, a development plan. That was going to create a, a very, a very um, cohesive Super Rugby team, and, and ultimately a very cohesive um, Argentinian team as well. Um, so th- there's an expectation that the performance out of Super Rugby is going to help um, the Jaguares, um, sorry, help the Pumas come the Rugby Championship and come the um, Rugby World Cup. And the issue is that obviously they've still got guys coming back in from Europe, and it, it's going to come down to how well they choose those guys and bring them in and whether or not they take specific roles because ultimately there are more roles within the team that are much more important than others um, from a from a cohesion standpoint. So, um, But then, um, uh, you know, they've got the rugby championship to play um, to, to do that with because, I mean, the big scheme of things, um, um, the team that wins the rugby championship in a World Cup year uh, it's not. It's not. It, it's not necessarily uh, the. It's not necessarily that. That's the team that people often remember. They remember who wins the World Cup. So, so there's a good opportunity for 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 um, people to experiment. Um, yeah. Well, we've, that we've been, we well, we've been the champions of the. <laughs> I think the last two rugby championships, um, leading into World Cups, and we saw how they ended up. So, um, yeah, we probably need to. We would need to cool our jets on that. Um, Mate, um, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think that that's probably been quite enlightening for, for I know it has been for me, I'm yep. sure for um, everybody else listening. Thank you so much for um, giving us the time tonight. Yeah, look, no worries. And I just, just want to say that, so look, my experience as a performance analyst, look, I have to admit there are, there are lots of other um, guys that, are, that have done a, um, um, a much more proficient than than, than me out there that have, have worked and I've learnt off a lot of um, guys. So I was just lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, which is really sort of a good thing about our sport, that if you put your hand up enough times, you actually get some good gigs um, in that go in, in that way. But it's led me into this the world that I'm in now. So, um, um, But, uh, um, yeah, so there's a lot of other good, really good um, analysts out there that are still applying their trade at the Wallabies and and the super rugby provinces that really know their stuff much better than um, from my experiences. Oh, well, then why, then why the hell are we talking to you? Jeez. Okay. Well, that's right. Let, let, let's, let's scrub this podcast, guys. We'll go get... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so, but no, I, I was always under the impression that the most knowledgeable people about rugby were uh, randoms on the internet. I mean, <laughs> it's basically uh, founded our empire, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Let's not, let's, yeah, let's not start getting to whether people are really... To people at the top of their tree now, like that would completely knock this podcast out that's of the way. Why, yeah, that's why there are no analysts on on rugby chat rooms anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they, they can't compete, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time, and uh, we'll, we'll speak to you again sometime. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Albert. Great, awesome to have Simon on there, a friend of the pod with with, with Gameline. I'm sure we'll get um, Ben on as well at some other time. But um, what do you what do you think about that, guys? But Hugh, what was kind of like your big takeout? 
sort of. Oh, I, I, I thought it was really, really fascinating. Um, chat about just just the world of you know that sort of analyst profession and how many people are out there in the type of work that's being done. Those sweaty sheds in the on the on the South Island of New Zealand, churning out um, code, um, which, which I find fascinating. And and then you know the use of that use of those statistics in in selection. Um, you know, which is um, really fascinating. So, yeah, I, I, um, I, I was very interested in, in, in the bulk of that conversation. A bit of a shame we couldn't get into a bit more details around coaches and players and, and that sort of thing. But I understand that, it, yeah, they're a working company and they've got these contracts. So naming names is probably not a particularly wise career decision for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. interesting nonetheless. No, it was indeed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, trying to drill into each of those names because not only have they worked with those people, they might well want to work with them in the future. So you most definitely don't want to shut any doors on yourself, um, I would imagine. I thought the really interesting comment there that he made was about how, you know, the sort of the stats that we all kind of try and pour into and we don't even have obviously the full stats that those sorts of analysts will look at. Um, As he said, probably just another way of telling you what the score was versus... Um, you know, getting into some sort of high level thing, which is obviously where that whole cohesion comes from, where you might actually get into some sort of something that's a little bit more predictive, um, which is, I think is a good way of thinking about it. Um, but anyway, look, one of the things there that we, uh, yeah, that uh, we touched on was the uh, squad selection. So we've, we've got the Wallaby squad out. I'm sure um, everybody listening has sort of had a chance to have a look. I mean, usually what's more, most interesting is not so much who's in, but um but, but who's out? Um, why don't I go to you guys um, first? And, and maybe, Nick, I'll come to you, you first, mate. Um, what, was, what was something you liked about that squad and what was something you didn't? Um, cheers for having me on. And, uh, look, I, the first thing that kind of really jumped out at me that I was really happy about was I think when we, when we all were talking about uh, when we did our selection um, panel podcast a couple of weeks back, um, I think pretty much... All of us were of the consensus that um, Izzy Nicerani, um had to be in contention in some capacity. Um, and it's really nice to see him named in that squad and to see him uh, under consideration. And I really do hope that he, um, he gets the chance to wear Wallaby gold in South Africa because he is such a... He's such a fa- he's been, I know he's been on Checker's Radar... For a very long time, I know he's because probably due to ineligibility he has um, until now, um, but it's it's really good to see him uh, in that squad and have him around. Um, that's kind of the real uh, one that I uh, quite enjoyed um, seeing. Um, and the one that really did surprise me is because I think it surprised a lot of people was um, Nick Phipps not not being in the squad. Um, because I know that Czech has often really liked going to to fitness as a as a player to kind of really finish off games and um, and you know th- uh, be a strong uh, be a strong finisher uh, to complement Genia. Um, so the decision to have him out and instead have the likes of Joe Powell and Nick White in the squad instead um, is an interesting move because I mean it flies in the face of of what Simon has been talking about around cohesion. I mean. Czech has probably been using Phipps for a while, and now to have White back in in the squad coming over from Exeter, um, it's a bit of an interesting uh, squad selection when it comes to cohesion. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's definitely one of the ones that I guess when I was alluding to the, the Waratah usuals that you see in there, Nick Phipps is one of the backup halfbacks is is usually a bit of a go-to. So I think that was a bit of a surprise. I don't know if that says that, you know, with Nick White moving back to Australia um, and Nick Phipps moving on, that maybe is Checker looking to the next few years. Uh, uh, yeah, um, it's, that was definitely a bit of a, a, a curveball. Um, Hugh, what about you, mate? What's, what's something you like, something you, you didn't like so much? Well, look, I, I like most of the squad, and I think uh, judging by the reaction on our, on our site, I, I dare say a lot of people probably did as well because – yeah, we normally thrive on the frothing kind of outrage um, that a few classic checker selections can bring. I got you know the the Ned Hannigans of the world and the Nick Phipps of the world, and and even though I don't think either of them have had bad seasons, in fact they might have had their best. Well, in Hannigan's case probably improved form, but um, it's it's a good thing he's been overtaken by a number of other players. One of whom, Rob Valentini, um, made the squad, and I think that's a great great selection along with Liam Wright. 
um, two of the three uncapped forwards. And, um, I, I, you know, I think he was um, a, a both really well-deserved call-ups. And in, in a team of people that I think have done done pretty well, and there's no one there that uh, I think is particularly undeserving or radically left field. But um, I suppose if, if there's if there's one guy I'm, I uh, that grinds my gears a little bit, it's Tolu Latu, just given his disciplinary record both on and off the field. Um, I would like to see him prove himself a little bit more and... and you know, I, I res- understand the selection given that he's probably one of our most naturally talented hookers. Um, and I think I've started a few times on this. He's, his 30-odd minutes off the bench against Ireland in Sydney was the best I've seen from a, a bench hooker in a long time for the Wallabies. Um, and, you know, he was everywhere in that in that stint. But unfortunately, he, he, you know, that form is, is a bit uh, erratic uh, on his part, but he's got it at his best. But uh, you know he just has a habit of giving away penalties, yellow cards, suspensions, um, and uh, obviously there's some off-field issues as well. So uh, I, I thought uh, someone like Damien Fitzpatrick or um, uh, Matt Murphy or um, the Brendan Pang or Mosa would, would might have been might have been better options. But um, look, I mean, if if the third string hooker is is all we're getting um, our hackles up about um then uh, it shows it's, it must be a pretty good squad if, if that's the only fault i can find yeah i mean look in this couple of things that you mentioned there i mean you're right i think uh ned hannigan now if you don't believe he should ever have been near the Warata, the uh, wallabies squad then uh you know then you, you what i'm about to say won't make any sense to you anyway but if t- taking the sense that look he's basically spent the last, was it, two or three seasons playing um, in and around the, the, the Wallabies. Um, I think you mentioned it. I think he probably had his best season this season in the Waratahs. Um, but one of the other names in there that he, I guess, is kind of displacing him as a kind of both um, back rower slash second rower is Luke Jones um, coming back. And I don't know, That's that's for me probably where I see rather than a Valentini, it's probably more like the utility Luke Jones that I feel has been probably selected over Hannigan. And actually by now, Luke Jones only ever had three tests. Um, so versus a Hannigan who must have racked up, I don't know, was he racked up maybe 15 or 20 tests by now? Um, so anyway, that's if if you're in the logic of, the, you know, of Hannigan having been in and around the squad for so long, then that's probably what's probably even more shocking um, or, or is a shock from that perspective. Um, I think from the Tolu Latu selection there, again, reading check, reading if you remember to him being, remember him being on our podcast um, a few months back and how he was sort of talking about what really, really he loves seeing in a player is that aggression. And I think that's what he sees with Latu. You're right. Both the skill sets, um, um, also, you know, his ability over the ball as a jackler is, is quite phenomenal. Um, but then I think Checker really likes that aggression. And yes, we all know that Latu goes too far, but I think, I don't know, I like, I think Checker loves, likes having a bit of mongrel about them. Um, and we've all talked about in the past how that can go too far. Um, but I think that probably is also kind of sat in uh, Latu's favour there. I mean, one of the people we haven't talked about, I haven't seen enough of the internets to have seen any blow up or not, is that um, there is a Cooper in the squad, uh, but it's not Quaid. Um, how, how big's the reaction been, uh, Nick? And, you know, I know you've probably seen in the, in the, the daily news um, replies, are people over it or not? Um, well, look, I think... I mean, I myself don't have any issues really with AAC being um, being back in the squad um, because I mean, when you ha- if you have a 117 Test veteran who is still you know he didn't actually he had a pretty decent season with the Tars, all things considered. Um, you 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 must take advantage of that, and I mean, I think that it's. I mean, I'd be curious to see how he goes um, this uh, in South Africa. Um, whether, you know, pundits who complain about him being in the squad uh, have any, uh, you know, will be proven right or not. Um, for me personally, though, I mean, considering there are, you know, it is it is an interesting uh, backline selection and there is a lot of, you know, younger players who are still, you know, st- um, 
getting the hang of things. You know, you've got your likes of your Jack Maddoxes and your Tom Banks in there as well. To have someone like um, AAC around um, and kind of teaching that level of cohesion and getting that sense of it is, is something I think is personally beneficial. Mm. I mean, I was, I was actually more probably talking about the other Cooper, which is the Quaid Cooper who's been left out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, what, what do you reckon, Hugh? Are we going to be ruling that? Um, yeah, the, the media broadly, it was a bit of a headline grabber in a squad that didn't have a huge amount of things to talk about. Um, and, you know, that one was, was a, a, a bit of a, um, something to, something to get a bit clickbait really, because most people that have watched the season know that Cooper, his form has probably declined in the last six to eight weeks of the comp and Christian Lee Elefano went past him again, you know, that with that Brumbies late season form, um, and, you know, the way that he was directing that back line around the field basically meant it was a bit of a no-brainer that once you decided we were only going to have two five-eights, then they were the logical two to have. Now, does that mean Quade Cooper doesn't come in if there's an injury? Well, I think, you know, that's that's could well happen. And, and obviously, Lee Alifano and is fairly injury-prone, and there's a few other guys in that back line that are injury-prone as well. So I wouldn't rule anything out, but... Um, mm. I, I think if you look at our backline and the amount of tests that that have been played by by everyone in it, it's actually a really experienced unit. And a guy like Ashley Cooper, um, in a World Cup year, might be one of those sort of plays. And so, look, I'm no great fan of of of, of him on the field uh, at his current age, um, but I can't deny what he might bring to the wider group. And and he's just a reliable guy to have there as a backup. I think he's that type of player that as much as he's about 45, if someone goes down, I'd I, I back him to get in and do a job um, and, you know, and it won't, won't let the side down. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But, you know, still got a couple of weeks until that first game and, and, and you know, a lot can go on. Um, in the next couple of weeks, but um, it, it, it'll, I think all eyes and we're all waiting now on on that first fifteen and and to and to see if there's any surprises and if if Michael Chick can spring any left field picks on us because certainly you know we, we've got no David Pocock and and um, we've got no Israel Falau so there's, there's a few selection challenges there and a few um, big calls might need to be made. Yeah, look, I think uh, areas that are going to be really fascinating to see. I think the back three. Um, is 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 going to be interesting. Um, like you know, you look at some of the experience that's out there in in the back lines. So you know, like Matt Tamula on forty two tests, um, Adam Ashley Cooper one hundred and seventeen. You know, Curtly Beal eighty three, Bernard Foley sixty eight, Will Genia uh, one hundred. Um, you know, they're quite remarkable. Um, even your Reese Hodges, he's got thirty three tests under his belt now. Um, you Marika Kurabedi, you can say, but it was, and then, well, but then it's, in, and, and sorry, I should have said uh, Tavita Kurudrani, you know, 58 tests. So just about everywhere apart from the back three, um, you've got some really, um, really good numbers. Then Daily Highlight Petty, okay, there's 31 tests in there, but pretty soon you're getting out to sort of the you know, Marika Kurabedi, 20 tests. Um, and then you get to the sort of Jack Maddox on seven. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, Nick White, um, for the amount of time he spent around the Wallabies, uh, you know, 22 tests. So it drops away a little bit there. Tom Banks, we also like the look of, you know, only, only three tests. So when you start to get to that, 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 those back three, um, it starts to get a little bit thin. Um, I think what's actually quite exciting in a way, I guess we've been liberated from it, is, as you say, without any David Pocock as, um, you know, tempting anybody, um, Michael Hooper, 91 tests now, by the way. That's just quite amazing for a guy who's only 27. Um, but apart from him, I mean, the, the the back row is really kind of blown open. And with there not being any Ned Hannigan sort of, um, you know, shoe-in, um, it's going to be fascinating to see um, who, who, who else might make up that, that um, back row. Um, you know, uh, probably Jack Dempsey's probably got a pretty good look in um, although he's only got 10 tests in his name. Um, and, you know, like you say, Valentini, I think, you know, he was having a breakout season. Valentini was having a breakout season last um, year um, until he got crueled by injury and he's completely uncapped. So some very interesting choices that need to be made there um, around in and around that back row. And, you know, then you've got also Liam Wright um, along for the ride and he's also uncapped. So, some interesting choices um, that I think are going to line up there when we finally see the, 
the squad, um, a short, a smaller squad come through. Um, well, I think we've probably had plenty to talk about tonight, guys. I don't, I don't know if we need to kind of go on anymore. Um, Hugh, did you have anything else you, or, or Nick that you, you thought we, we should throw in? Oh, just, I suppose, tip our hat to the Crusaders for another fantastic Super Rugby year. I've got to say, I felt a bit disconnected um, to this particular title. I uh, didn't, didn't watch the final. I don't know. It just seemed to have an inevitability about it. Um, and, you know, then obviously to, to also tip our hats to, you know, the, the only team or one of the one of the two teams to beat them this year, the only Australian team, and, and that's the Waratahs. So well done to the Waratahs <laughs> for, um, you know, for obviously then winning the title as the best Australian team uh, this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Slam dunk. Unfortunately, we didn't have Reg on here to, to straighten us up there. Um, Nick, anything else you wanted to add in, mate, before we sign off? Well, just to touch on that final a little bit. I mean, it was actually it was it was quite an interesting match in terms of you know seeing. It, it, from, the only thing you know that really separated the teams was the game plan. From from what I saw of it, the Crusaders really, um, you know, the, the I think the t- both teams were actually quite strong in similar areas, and it was a fa- it was a really you know pretty evenly matched game at, at scrum time. Um, but what was really fascinating to me was just watching, you know, how as the the Crusaders would, oh, there was only one try scored, and the Crusaders were just edging slowly, slowly in front with three points here, three points there, where um, and just would slow the game down and kind of go into that lockdown mode. Whereas um, the Jaguars, while they were matching them for pace and for speed, um, when it came to those kind of critical moments, they would really rush things and force a mistake. I mean, they had three almost tries because they tried to push it. For, um, and really, I think it's a testament to the Crusaders' game plan, um, which I think is what got them over the line. But it was an interesting final. Um, that's 10 now for them, which uh, I guess it's all that needs to be said there. I don't know. I can't see any other team winning it next year. Yeah, well, we say that, but someone usually comes along. But I, I, I thought the... I saw the first half and I thought the Crusaders' uh, defence was just complete, was was outstanding. And considering that I think we went into the sheds at halftime um, with the Jaguares, um, you know, with three points on the board and they didn't get any further in the second half, um, was quite remarkable. Uh, and it wasn't like the Jaguares weren't throwing everything at it. They absolutely were. So um, Crusaders were absolutely rock solid, unfortunately. Uh, probably, And it was also unfortunate to see quite a few of these those Kiwi teams starting to pick it up towards the end as well, um, unerringly, um, which always seems to be the way in World Cup years. Um, all right, guys, I think we might call it a night. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, good to talk to you, Hugh. Nick? Yeah, only only a few weeks till the first Wallabies game, so it should be interesting. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll do more as we kind of uh, we line up in, into that, if not um, definitely afterwards once we've seen what's kind of gone on. All right, thanks, everybody, for, for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.